0: Hello and welcome into the Take Ten podcast. This is Alex Rue from Big Ten Network, and this week's guests are Fox Sports college football analyst RJ Young and Big Ten Network manager of research Harold Shelton. Let's get into it.
1: Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, with the catch, the finish.
2: Oh, my goodness! What a catch! Oh my it goodness! It enth- does.
0: We'll get to RJ Young in just a moment, but first, a quick word from our sponsor, Northwestern University School of Professional Studies. If you've ever thought about a career in sports, check out the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. You can build your skill set and your network in evening or online classes. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu slash sports. Thanks, as always, to our sponsor. Great opportunity there if you want to build a career in sports maybe work at a place like Big Ten Network. So check it out for sure. All right, we'll get to our first guest, RJ Young. Previously mentioned he is a college football analyst at Fox Sports. He's in his first year at Fox Sports and uh, has an interesting story of how he found himself at the network, found himself in this current role, how he kind of built his audience to uh, be a sizable and significant one on, on YouTube and now has turned that into uh, a content machine at Fox Sports uh, and all things college football. So talked to RJ, got his thoughts on the Penn State-Iowa game, got his thoughts on Ohio State football and the Big Ten in general, uh, with the Big Ten having a bunch of ranked teams, six in the top 11 right now. Things are looking good right now for Big Ten football. And RJ also uh, shared some of his background as well um, before getting to some of that analysis. So well-rounded 15 to 20 minute discussion with RJ before getting to Harold Shelton. So we'll start with RJ and we will go from there. It's a take 10 podcast discussion with RJ Young. All right, I'm very pleased to be joined by Fox Sports College football analyst, RJ Young. He is the host of the number one ranked show for Fox Sports on YouTube. He is a writer, content creator, and he's here to talk some college football. So, RJ, welcome. How are you? I'm good, Alex. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to have you on, especially after crossing paths a few times now in your time at Fox. And first and foremost, you know, I always just kind of want to get to know my guests and my, my uh, colleagues in the media space here on the podcast. So, if you could just take us through your background in the industry, how you kind of came up through the ranks to this position, and just take us through your trajectory overall and how you found yourself at Fox Sports and how Fox Sports found you.
2: Very interesting question um, going to condense the journey quite a bit here, but uh, I was writing about OU football at the University of Oklahoma going through graduate school after doing a little bit at the University of Tulsa got a job uh, as a second beat writer mostly covering men's basketball helping out on football. Just after grad school at OU um, that ran its course went back to grad school. going to be an English professor started making these videos on YouTube about my team the Oklahoma Sooners, and it was a little bit more fun for me because I knew all the kids. I come up as a recruiting reporter. So, you know, they're little brothers to me, and they were really playing some outstanding football. And I had other friends who wanted to see more of that sort of content on YouTube. And that became something else entirely, right? Over the last four years, it's not just that I've made those videos. I have hosted my own radio show uh, daily in my hometown of Tulsa where I still live did some national radio uh, at ESPN and Fox and I got to know each other during the pandemic right I was doing this like what we're doing at home uh, and they were like hey do you want to do this for us it's like hell yes I want to do that for you like what, what are you asking me for and that happened about January of this year so it's been fun um, and I'm still learning right I'm still getting there but don't want to know how to do just talk about football and really try to be a great observer and critic of the sport
0: yeah and anyone who follows you on twitter uh by the way give him a follow rj underscore young anyone who follows you on there knows that you're a big oklahoma fan mm-hmm. went there you know big sooners guy um i saw it when kind of looking into your background for this interview i saw it, you mentioned you were a cheerleader there is mm-hmm. that is that correct
2: so at the University of Tulsa. As
0: a as like a media, you know, that sometimes people get accused of the pom-poms. You were literally a, a cheerleader with the pom-poms for Oklahoma.
2: Yeah. Uh, no, at TU, at the University it's of T- Tulsa. T-U. Okay, yeah, gotcha. You were a uh, master's
0: at, um, at Oklahoma.
2: Right, but like the way I always frame that is throwing white girls in the air, catching them by the feet, because uh, that was really the job. Is that in tumbling? Um, no, it was a way to quite literally get through school. Like they were going, hey, thousand bucks a semester, if you'll stand there with a megaphone and occasionally, you know, throw some awesomes, throw some libs, come to practice. I did that in addition to turning wrenches. Uh, I'm still an ASE mechanic, you know, weighted tables, bus tables, move tables, all sorts of things to get through college. So yes, yeah, just one of those things in the journey.
0: Love that. Love that. And I'm curious, you know, you have a very, in my opinion, engaging uh, way about you on, on social media. What would you say, is, if there is an art to it, what would you say the art is to building a following and and being engaging, standing out among the crowd, especially I think in a crowd uh, in college football media that can tend to be very homogenous, both by, you know, look, sound, everything. So how have you kind of crafted your own voice and and tried to stand out?
2: I believe what I'm doing. uh, It's like trite way to put it. Let me take it back. I've been on Twitter since there was Twitter, right? So like, I've been a part of the community for a very long time and just seeing how other people interact with each other on Twitter, basically wanting to be there. Right. Uh, I want to be in these spaces and Twitter became my newspaper long before it became a place where I have a brand. Like I just, I'd be there anyway. And the jokes are always what life is best for, right? If you can't laugh at it, why not? And most of the stuff college football that I think, tends to make it go around is all the stuff that doesn't make it into the mainstream as often as I would like and that's more or less where I like to live and breathe right I think there are jokes everywhere you look I think there are great stories everywhere you go everywhere you look and it just depends on how you're going to frame those things and you know from 140 characters to 280 characters there's always something to do and there's something to say and there's something to talk about
0: yeah agreed I mean college football is fueled in a lot of ways especially on Twitter by the memes and I like going back to what you said and how you got your start like I was in the recruiting space as well in the beginning. And you're right. That's just a way really to tap in and and get a great uh, feel for the pulse of not only the fans, but the athletes and people really care about it. Um, One thing also, RJ, it's really apparent just from reading up on you following your content um, you obviously love telling stories and not, you know, every person in media will probably say that, but it certainly applies to you. Like, you know, you've written books, done vlog style content that I saw on YouTube built this YouTube audience, this podcast audience. And you know, you've done it from the outside looking in, pouring energy into topics that are not only you know college football related, but mentioned you were an author, a writer. You know, pouring your energy into subject matter that really has real world, real raw significance in everyday life and in history. You know, with race, social issues. Um, my question is, how are you able to kind of divide that energy and conquer and be successful across these pursuits? You know, especially when the stakes are so different, so to speak, with college football, it's fun. It's a game. Then this, this real stuff on the other side.
2: It's an interesting uh, question because it's how I'm wired. Right. Um, I'm a black man. I'm also very loud about that because it's a big part of my identity. It's a big part of who I think I am. Right. Uh, but I'm also always interested in, interested in sports, particularly college football from the avenue of what does society care about? Right? like I always tell my friends who can't get into football right specifically the NFL but especially college football that you are missing what's important to the country you know like 80 of the top 100 shows on television every year are NFL games that means your favorite show doesn't rate it's an NFL football game it is the worst NFL football game that people are paying attention to and in college you get to see that in a real regional space, right? Like Ohio State fans are only here for Ohio State. They do not care to hear about anybody else's. And when they have to, it's probably going to be a school in their state like Cincinnati, right? Whereas Oklahoma, you're not going to find too many Oklahoma fans that are going to root for Oklahoma State or Tulsa unless they're playing against somebody else, right? Because then you represent us. You know, like that's that's what I love most about college football and one of the things that I'm passionate about is expanding the playoffs to 16 teams in large part because I think it nationalizes the sport in a way that it never has been. I want people to have to have a stake in what is going on in places like Washington, California, and Arizona because the Pac-12 has a road to get to the playoff, right? And then you'll have to care about other stuff like wildfires in California, water shortage, climate change, right? These things that matter to me, social unrest. And football is a great way to talk about those things because we're going to be in those spaces. Like we go to church on Saturday as much as we go to church on Sunday. There are 84,000 people at Memorial Stadium in Oklahoma on Saturday and we fill up ch- churches on Sunday. You know, I think the same is true in places like Ohio and Michigan. And the more we can talk about those things, the better we're going to be. So I'm here talking college football.
0: That's a great way to connect, you know, those two worlds. And, and I agree that the stake is so important for fans to be invested, you know, if it's the same few teams every year, it's not good for the sport, but I, I really love how you connected, like I said, uh, you know, the issues with with people showing up among their community members on Saturdays. And you live in Tulsa, like you mentioned, um, and I saw, it's right there in your Twitter bio, you are writing a book about the 1921 Tulsa race massacre, um, an issue that we all know has been undercovered, Throughout our upbringings in school, um, in the media, and you know, is a, a huge shame over the last 100 years in this country, and a stain. Um, when did you decide that this would be your next undertaking as an author? Because you do have uh, previous books that are they're available online as well.
2: When my agent thought it was viable is the easiest answer, right? Uh, it's also very interesting because had George Floyd not been murdered. I don't think that people would have cared as much as they seem to care right now. And had Watchmen not been made into an HBO series, I don't think people would have cared. As a matter of fact, one of the writers of that show, Corey Jefferson, recently divulged that he hadn't heard of the Tulsa Race Massacre until about 2017. Think about that in that Watchmen, I believe, debuted in December 2019, right? And I also knew my own community, some of my own community, I should say didn't even know what this was what this was about and a lot of that has to do with suppression uh, in the city of Tulsa as well as nationally and the more we write about it the more we talk about it the more it becomes part of what we discuss normally the better we are prepared to prevent it from happening again right that's that's what history is for we're supposed to learn from it not repeat it and in writing this book I'm not just writing about the history of I'm writing about the effects of what did we learn? What have we done? What haven't we done? What can we still do? So that's why it's called a requiem because a requiem is for the people that come after us, not necessarily for the people that are here today.
0: Yeah. really looking forward to following that project. And um, I mean, there's no smooth way to transition into lighter topics of college football from, from something like that. But I did want to ask, since we have met in person I saw you at media days, uh you're wearing a a football jersey let's just say you keep it business casual on site and (laughs) you like to wear football jerseys from pop culture we're talking you know booby miles from friday night lights could you maybe rank a few of your favorites some of your go-to jerseys in the wardrobe when you're stepping out at events like this
2: oh man so like in chicago when i last saw you and you're so helpful to us just letting us do our show from big 10 network studios. We we're so appreciative because otherwise we're doing it out of a hotel room. And that was awesome. Uh, but like I wore my Wakanda Jersey. So it's a soccer Jersey. It's got the number 10 talisman. It's got my name on the back. Cause I was like, I have to have this right. Black Panther is one of my favorite movies, but like, and as far as football, the Vince Howard, East Dylan lions. Yeah, man. I love that one. I love uh, my Ooh. My Stefan Georgievich, right? Ampipe, right? Number 33, you go for the ball, Georgievich. You're not God, Nickerson. Uh, Shane Falco, Ohio State alum, right? And the Washington Senators, uh, Willie Beeman. My goodness, steaming Willie Beeman. And it's in the black. Like, I can keep going. Like, it's, I got AFC Richmond in there. Like, I'm a Jersey guy. That's who I am. And I also think it's a great way to talk about some of these things that we've been talking about in this show, right? It's, Okay, why Booby Miles? Well, there's left to that. We can unpack that for days. Not the least of which is, you know, my man blew out an ACL and they had to totally change up how they go about winning football games for the 1988 Permian Panthers, right? And that is, okay, now that you have actually seen someone get hurt and your whole game plan is out the window, how good are you? What are you gonna figure out? How are you gonna do this? And then how is he going to adapt to this change? You know, like one of my favorite things about that movie is that Booby is on crutches at the state title game, coaching up Don Billingsley, telling him the finer points of running the football with contact. Like just in that moment right there, I was so fired up because you could hear it and you could see Don Billingsley was feeling it himself. And those two men only had that school in common. Right. And yet and still this close win a state championship, this close, just ugh. Love that movie. And I love what Booby Miles, at least in that moment, stood for. I
0: mean, we saw Mo Ibrahim, Minnesota, on the sidelines. Oh, supporting his guys on the scooter. It's tough to see, but, you know, you, you love to see them still invested and involved. Uh, RJ, we got to talk some Big Ten football before we let you go. Uh, part of the reason why you're here, because the, the league is looking low-key, kind of loaded right now. Uh, AP Top 25 came out on Sunday, and I got a stat for you. This is the first time. The Big Ten has had five teams ranked in the top 11 since 1960. So, yeah, so we got Iowa, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State all in that top 11 in order. Are you buying the Big Ten this year as a a conference or a league that could have three or four teams in these playoff discussions come December? Do you think a couple of those might fall off in the next couple of months here?
2: I think a couple of those are going to fall off just because of the way that the Big Ten is structured. Right. I'm I'm on Team Joel Klatt here when we talk about the Big Ten and how it's structured. I think you should do away with the divisions. I don't think it's it's helping you. at the same time, yo, man, uh, coming into the season, was loud about the Big Ten East being what I thought was the second deepest division in all of football behind the SEC West. And that's proven to be true. It also is, again, getting back to the structural problem, lopsided. Right. We're talking about Iowa being the standard bearer this year. For the Big Ten West, if all things play out, and they're going to play Penn State. Okay, one of those teams is going to lose. That means two teams that you might normally think got a shot at playing the playoff, not going to have an opportunity to do this again unless Penn State can go beat Ohio State, which is another discussion altogether. But I look through the Big Ten East, and I'm going, you know, Rutgers and Maryland were undefeated in non-conference. People forget about that. And then Nebraska jumps up in the Big Ten West and runs up 56 on Northwestern, put 427 on the ground, 657 total. Like, yeah, they could play a little football up there. I don't know if it's three or four teams, but it's it's at least two teams. It's at least two, if not three, depending on how the rest of college football plays out, right? Because Oregon, I think, did you a favor in one way and did you a disservice in another, but that's a different conversation altogether.
0: Yeah, getting a little bit of a chaos year, chaos vibe, like 2007 this year. Love that, love that. Absolutely. Me too. Uh, as an Illinois guy, 2007 was, was one of the <laughs> the few highlights I've had in my lifetime. Um, all right. Real quick. You mentioned uh, Penn state and Iowa on Twitter. You said it's a college football playoff play in game. Who do you think is more legit out of those two teams? Um, you know, that might not be the deciding factor since Kinnick stadium gets, gets legit on uh you know, on game days, as we know. So how do you see this one shaking out?
2: Man, if that Iowa defense continues to show up like it is showing up all year, good luck. But, you know, it's just, I'm seeing 2019 Sean Clifford out there, right? And 2019, Sean Clifford won 11 games. I guess, it's got to be strength on strength, that I really love this. And you can't really predict takeaways and turnovers, even as we focus on them, and I know defensive coaches focus on them. But if you can hold on to the football, Penn State, they ought to come out there with a W, right? Because we saw them do this against Wisconsin, Who's off to a 1-3 start, but I don't think the defense is bad. I just think, you know, they got some things to work out offensively. Meanwhile, with Iowa, I mean, Friday night was the first time I actually saw Spencer Petras and believed that he was a good enough quarterback. Like, the way that I look at Iowa right now, it's 2009 Alabama and the way that they play football. I don't know if they're that good, but, you know, you don't have necessarily a Heisman candidate at quarterback, but you got an outstanding tailback at Tyler Goodson, right? You're always going to have tight ends. Like, LaPorte is out there doing a job. Bruce showed up, right? And then on the other side is Sean Clifford, it's Jahan Dotson, it's Noah Kane. And then can you play defense? Right. So uh, if you could score more than twenty-four on Iowa, you win the football game. But nobody scored more than twenty-four on Iowa since about October of twenty eighteen. So you got to be able to play that ball control game that they play and you got to score every time you got the ball. Can Penn State do that? We will see.
0: Very exciting for uh excited for that matchup on Saturday. And and, uh, you know, been to, been to Kinnick once for a game and all the rumors are true about them being in your ear hole on the sidelines. It's, it's wild out there. Uh, last question I got for you, RJ, as a Sooners fan, Sooners guy, who do you fear the most out of the big 10 running into them, uh, potentially in a late December matchup, which team strikes fear? Is it Ohio state? Cause I saw you had them 17 mm-hmm. in your latest ranking. Um, or is it one of these teams that we talked about near the top of the conference and, uh, if you could work into that
2: answer, why you got Ohio State so low, would love to hear that too. Let's let's start with that and work backward. Ohio State is the number 17 team in the country to me because results matter, right? If I look at their roster, I believe what you believe. They're one of the best teams in college football. They also lost to Oregon. Okay. They lost to Oregon at home. They lost to Oregon at home without Kayvon Thibodeau, who for many is the best college football player in the country, full stop, the best defensive player in the country. right. Then Oregon loses to a two and two Stanford. That's not good for your resume and good for your look. It's also an opportunity for you to continue to win football games. The reason I got like an Arkansas ranked ahead of them is they have two AP top 15 wins. How many top 25 wins does Ohio State have? None, but keep winning football games. Get back to the big 10 championship, win the big 10 championship. And it all works itself out. My rankings are based on what you have done. Not how good I think you're going to be. Otherwise, why are we playing the football games, right? Because I had Ohio State beaten Oregon by three touchdowns. I was as shocked as anybody else, but the result is the result. You lost. And in this sport, where we only play 12 games, yeah, it's small sample size, but that has to matter. Don't tell me about how many five stars you have. Tell me how many games they won. It's also why, again, I'm into a 16-team playoff because that takes – us out of it right it lets the scoreboard be the arbiter it means the kids grab something to play for and everybody has an opportunity to really win a consensus national championship and yeah that's still the team that would terrify me the most if i'm an oklahoma fan you know i mean flag plant aside it's a good football team in 2016 happened right i know that you know that but else it's about scoring points right And Ohio State still scores with anybody in football. It's about, for them, getting the defense right. And it looks like they got that fixed against Rutgers. We will see. But, yeah, if you look at my rankings, you'll see that I value who you beat and where you beat them more than I value who you lost to and what your roster is, right? So if you just go through those one-loss teams they are in that 10-17 to range, you'll see, hey, Coastal Carolina is undefeated. Are they good enough to beat Ohio State? I would like to see it. I'm not going to say they're not. That's doing a disservice to those kids. I'm not going to sit there and tell the kids in Conway that they're not good enough to go knock off Ohio state. When I watched Oregon come in there and do it. And then I watched Stanford go do it. I guess it's it's unconscionable to me that someone would have the opinion that just because the roster looks better, you know, they can get beat or to put it. I'm going to use this word. Feel free to bleep it, but it's one that I live my life by just because you're the best doesn't mean you can't get your ass kicked like that. That's, that's me, right? That's what I believe. That's who I am. So Ohio state prove it. Right. Until then. Hey, you lost. Do something about that. And I would say that to anybody, right? It's why Oklahoma is still a top 10 team. Do I think they're great? Not particularly, but they're undefeated and there's nothing you can do to say or change that fact. Right. And I just, I don't know what we're arguing about sometimes. And I wonder what would happen. Well, what would happen if we just decided that the results mattered more than anything else?
0: Definitely on the same page with you there. I don't understand why it has to be so complicated. Why a lot of the hypotheticals have to even come into play when we could choose to make this something that's settled on the field. So appreciate your voice on that topic. Appreciate your voice on this podcast and in college football in general um you know really enjoy your perspective and i appreciate you be willing being willing to tell part of your story here on the the podcast today so thanks for jumping on appreciate it and uh, looking forward to linking up with you down the road at some college football games
2: yeah alex man thank you again i appreciate the time here i appreciate the time in chicago anything you need from us you let me know
0: all right thanks once again to rj for joining the show really appreciated his perspective his uh, willingness to tell his story and and hope he is around for a long, long time at Fox Sports um, as the latest uh, voice for their digital output there. Definitely a great hire and looking forward to working more with him down the road. All right, we'll toss it over now to Harold Shelton, Big Ten Network Manager of Research. If you've listened to the show before, he is a weekly guest, a uh, staple of the show who... He's excellent at breaking down Big Ten football, Big Ten basketball. He's an expert. He puts together all the research documents, packet, whatever you want to call it, for everyone at the network each week. And he is um, an excellent conveyor of that information on the podcast as well. So always appreciate his time. He breaks down um, even deeper in detail uh, some of those games we talked about with RJ, especially Penn State-Iowa. That's the big one. That also takes stock of uh, the Michigan squads, Spartans and Wolverines, talks about Ohio State, maybe preparing for a second half of the season surge here, talks about Nebraska, Um, even sneaking a little Big Ten basketball talk at the end as well. So a lot to get to, and Harold covers it all, so we will let him take it from here. It's Big Ten Network's discussion with Harold Shelton. All right, very excited to be rejoined after a couple weeks off by Harold Shelton, Big Ten Network Manager of Research H with our podcast schedule the way it is. You know, we're doing a certain amount in a certain window here. There's going to be some weeks where we miss some action, got to catch ourselves up, catch the audience up, take stock of where we're at. First off, how you doing? And second, how's it feel to kind of pop back in here at a time when Big Ten is sitting kind of pretty in the beginning of October?
1: Yeah, uh, well, thanks for having me back on. Always good to be back. Yeah, I think the last time I was on, we were talking about, you know, just the historic, you know, non-conference slate that was happening. I think it was week three when you had, you know, uh, Notre Dame and Cincinnati and Miami and Oklahoma, like all on the schedule in the same week. And, you know, we were kind of talking about how, you know, if the Big Ten did what it needed to do, it could set itself up once they got in the conference play in terms of like controlling a narrative. And now they've done a really good job getting these wins. And now we're at a point where a lot of people are viewing the big 10 as the best conference in the country. Like we know that the sec has the top two, but they don't look as strong down the line. Meanwhile, we have four undefeateds and five in the top 11. So it looks like big 10 is real strong right now.
0: Yeah. Nice to kind of get back out of here with, some strength in uh, not only numbers but in rankings to talk about, and you know you touched on it, right? Six teams ranked in the top eleven. I saw in your your stats for the first time since 1960. We got those four undefeated teams. Iowa looking like a real threat to have some lasting power in that college football playoff conversation. We got a huge top four matchup this week. It's all good right now in Big Ten country uh, as far as football goes. So before we get into all that. Uh, you know, i like to address with you the, the guest on each week's show. And most times it's an athlete or former athlete or maybe a coach here on the show. But lately we've been getting back into the media game as well, getting some media personalities on. Fox has been kind enough to lend some voices to us for the last couple of shows. We had Charlotte Wilder on a few weeks back. R.J. Young, another Fox sports personality, joined us at the top of this show. R.J.'s an interesting guy. Uh, enjoyed getting to know him better and getting to meet him over the last few months. First at Media Days. Chicago studio, uh, when he came by for a visit and then now on the podcast and I'm not sure how much familiarity you have with RJ's work, but it's his first year at Fox sports and just want to get your, uh, impressions of, of him since, you know, we don't have any of his playing days to look back on. He was a cheerleader at Tulsa though, and, uh, got his master's at Oklahoma as we learned earlier on the show. So what are your thoughts on RJ and uh, what he brings to the Fox sports family, especially in his college football analysis?
1: Yeah, he's a guy I definitely would like to meet and like to talk to. Uh, hopefully I can do that at, at some point. You know, obviously I missed him at media days, but I'm sure, uh, you know, we can catch up down the line. Uh, it's good just to see, you know, someone that looks like me in the media that's not a former player or a former coach. You know, I think it's just really, really hard uh, for whatever reason to kind of break through in this space um, as a minority. Um, and so, like, being able to see him – uh, you know, with the platform that he has, I think is awesome.
0: For sure, yeah. And I kind of asked him what his approach was to building those audiences, right? On uh, YouTube, I think is is what stood out. Uh, if I were to guess, as far as what appealed to the executives who hired him at Fox Sports, he had an existing YouTube audience that then was brought under the Fox Sports umbrella. And it's just interesting. You're right to to see how people are able to build that type of audience, you know, in various forms in this quote influencer space. In the media and i think his voice is is in a voice like his is definitely needed right um we've talked about before how college football media can tend to get pretty homogenous pretty like-minded at times um he's you know this might be coincidence but he's another person that supports an expanded playoff he said 16 teams quite a few times during our discussion earlier so uh you know somebody who brings a unique voice not only in his football takes but in his perspective life experiences etc especially, like we said, in a space that is crowded with uh, a lot of um, similar voices and faces.
1: Yeah, um, that's interesting about the 16-team playoff. I'm not quite that far along, but uh, I, I can appreciate, uh, you know, having that that thought. Um, and, and, again, I mean, you, you mentioned it, you, you called it, you know, we, we've had these conversations offline just in terms of there just aren't a lot of uh, minority voices uh, that aren't former players or coaches that are in – this sports media and um you know being being able to see a guy like that you know have an audience like that and bring it at a major network like that is awesome um like i know i you know i talked to to colton pouncey who's the michigan state writer at the athletic you know young black guy uh like myself and so you know I- it's good to see you know people like that uh, i know harry lyle's just got a you know he's doing espn game day stuff early um, and he's doing some sideline stuff for them, too. So, you know, it's good to see more and more uh, minorities that aren't players and coaches getting into this space.
0: Yeah, and if anyone, you know, is rolling their eyes at this or, this or dismissing it as something woke or something like that, like just, you know, sit for a minute on uh, at a conference in sports media or or go to or, you know, sit on some of these Zoom calls that are oppressor press conference related, you know, with larger members of the media, and you'll see exactly what we're talking about and why it's important. Um, So you don't really want to hear any pushback here because it's, it's definitely an issue that, as you said, step-by-step is hopefully, you know, getting rectified, but um, we'll move on now to what we were talking about at the top with big 10 looking pretty, pretty good right now. Um, So take us through maybe off the top, just how historic this spot in the season is to have, this amount of teams in the conversation of, of being at the, near the top of college football and also how some of these teams maybe fit into what is playing out as a somewhat chaotic year with a lot of teams, not, uh, you know, being represented like they would be in a normal year. Maybe when you're talking about a Clemson uh, being a, a playoff shoe, in, they've already got a couple of losses, how does the big 10 fit in the picture to really maybe take a larger share of the conversation?
1: Yeah. So, I know we talked about a little bit at the top, you know, the, the fact that we've got five teams in the top 11, uh, you know, first time we've had that since October of 1960. Um, again, all of the work that was done in our conference, you know, Penn State beat Auburn, you know, Michigan beat Washington, Michigan State beat Miami, you know, that allowed, you know, Iowa beating Iowa State, you know, that allowed this to happen. Um, and as you talked about with the landscape of the sport this year, we know there are two two teams, you know, in the South that are really, really good. They seem to be kind of on their own tier right now. Obviously, that could change. But everything else is up for grabs. You don't have the usual suspects. Of, these are the four teams that we know are going to be in, and it's just a matter of if they lose or not. Like, there seems to be a lot of contenders for spots three and four right now, um, which is a breath of fresh air, honestly. Um you know I know Oklahoma's still undefeated, but they've they've certainly shown a lot of warts, um, and might wind up losing to Texas uh, this week. So uh, you got Cincinnati, you got a chance to finally get a group of five team in, um, especially if they run it. They looked really impressive against Notre Dame, and you know there's a lot of talk of SEC getting to why couldn't the Big team get to if you get a situation where you get a one loss team from the East playing against an undefeated Iowa. You know, in Indy, if that East Champ wins, could you take two? If it's Penn State that happens to lose this week at Iowa and they run it and then beat Iowa in a rematch, you know, could that be the case? If it's Ohio State that runs it, you know, if they, if Penn State uh, beats Iowa and then Ohio State runs it and Penn State's only losses to Ohio State, but they have all these other wins. I mean, it's certainly an opportunity. And I don't think we've been able to say that. Uh, This late in the season, we've got a chance to get two.
0: Yeah, and Iowa's been really impressive, been the most impressive Big Ten team. Uh, We'll talk about the Iowa-Penn State game in detail coming up here. But uh, first off, it's interesting that Iowa did what Penn State did two years ago uh, to Maryland. Every year, Maryland seems like has a pretty strong start. Uh, I do feel bad that, you know, the the two times that they've done these Friday night blackout games – at home. I was there two years ago when Penn State came in and uh, all college park was turned up for that one. And it was a 59, nothing game. And I was wondering going into this weekend or this past weekend's matchup, if Maryland would be able to, you know, get some of that cred back from that. They probably lost their fan base two years ago. Um, and turns out Iowa did something very similar when they came in, you know, forced a bunch of turnovers and won, I think it was 51, 14. So Iowa further legitimize themselves as a, as a great team so far this year. Um, and then, you know, you, you see the other big 10 teams taking care of business and we got to shout out your, uh, your Michigan schools too. Right. So the Mitten state is, is holding its own two teams that were unranked coming into the season, I believe, and are, uh, you know, playing really well, played themselves into the top 11, which is, is crazy. I don't think anyone expected that in year two of Tucker. And then in a year for Harbaugh, that was kind of, kind of, uh, prove it year for him yeah yeah
1: it's uh it's interesting seeing uh both michigan schools at five and zero. i can't say i'm too surprised that michigan is just because washington looked worse than what we thought they would you know losing to montana early you kind of figured at that point michigan should win that game and then wisconsin hasn't been you know the wisconsin that we're used to but to go into camp randall and win by 21 points um, obviously, that's really, really hard to do. So, you know, kudos to them for getting that done. The Michigan State one, obviously, is a much bigger surprise. You know, you had uh, a ranked road game in Miami early in the year. I think before the season, most people would have put that as a loss. Um, you know, I think the way they, you know they had two wins last year and they looked really, really bad. And you didn't know what the quarterback situation was going to be. And they had all these transfers and you didn't really know what they were going to be. And so, in addition to that, plus the Miami game, plus the Nebraska game that, you know, was kind of a toss-up, you open up with the Big Ten West champs on the road, you're thinking, like, you know, maybe if they win that game, they could, you know, get something going. But if they lose it, you know, are they even a bowl team? And now they're literally a win away from being a bowl team after going two and five last year.
0: Yeah, Michigan State might have broken Northwestern week one there. Um western's not yeah, not not great high yeah. just the, it's their their cycle they go through they make the big 10 champ game then have a reset year um it's, so- it, it's weird with
1: them like you know a lot of teams can reload and and I guess we probably should have seen this coming right like you know, they lose the, the all time, you know, defensive coordinator that they've had forever and had 400 wins and they lost the most production in the country, like offense and defense. And unlike the Alabamas and Ohio States and Notre Dame's and Clemson's, they don't really reload where the next year they could just get it going again. So it'll probably take them a couple of years and then we'll see them right back in the mix and either 22 or
0: 23. All right. So curious on your perspective as a Michigan state guy, uh, You know, you mentioned the two wins last year, and I kind of thought from the outside looking in that this would be a slower build, Um, especially to get to, you know, a top 15 type of level. We'll see if they sustain that this year. But in your opinion, how much of this so far is like what Mel Tucker has been able to do in his short time there? Uh, And how much of it is maybe the Michigan State Foundation under D'Antonio being maybe more solid than we thought two years ago when we saw kind of the end Unfolding and and him going out, you know, not probably in a way that he he had anticipated and Michigan State fans anticipated, and thinking that might be you know somewhat of a uh, rebuild from the bottom up. So not to discredit Tucker, but what do you think the split is when it comes to the job he's done and coming into uh, maybe a better situation than we might have anticipated?
1: I'm going to say probably 75 to 80 percent Tucker. Um, And the reason why I say that is because he took advantage of the transfer portal in a way where I don't think D'Antonio would have. The fact that he basically brought in, you know, 41 new guys when you include the freshmen, Um, you know, they lost, I don't want to say 22 guys and brought 15 in and basically just remade the roster in a year and a half. I just don't know. I know D'Antonio was very focused on loyalty within the program and having everybody, that you know, be a Spartan that's already there and having that family atmosphere where Tucker is basically like, look, we got to get this going. Like, I don't have three or four years to try to rebuild it. Like, I'm going to take advantage of the rule and I'm going to build it now. And the fact that he was able to get all these guys in there, you know, implement his culture, buy-in, and guys, you know, they completely get it, um, but to be fair to Antonio, like he brought Jaden Reed in as a grad, as a uh, as a transfer. You no, know, Cal Holiday, Xavier Henderson, are two best players on defense are D'Antonio guys. He got Peyton Thorne to decommit from Western Michigan to go to Michigan State. So there were still pieces there from the D'Antonio era, and I definitely don't want to take that away from him. But I don't think we would have seen. Uh, this drastic of a turnaround or this offensive explosion that we've seen if he was still there.
0: Yeah, I guess I didn't realize the transfer numbers were so high. And, you know, you bring in the nation's leading rusher as a transfer. That, that's pretty good, too. So, yeah, it's, it's been outstanding what Tucker's been able to do um, so quickly in just, you know, a couple of years there, especially coming in late kind of unorthodox fashion, if I remember correctly. Um, okay, so, you know, we saw what Penn State did to Indiana. Indiana is a whole other story, which I don't think we'll get to today because we got a huge matchup coming up with Iowa and Penn State. You know, you think about some really good Iowa-Penn State games from recent history. Um, Wasn't it Jawan Johnson who had a big catch against Iowa or at Iowa a few years back? Um, I just remember, you know, thrillers there that kind of all blend together in this series. But this matchup coming up, what to you, you know, makes it, Unique after you've looked at the stats, you know, with it being a top four matchup in conference, Ohio State not being involved. Um, and then the, just the serious history we've seen with these teams that has made for, you know, some electric games in recent history. Well, how much time
1: do we got? <laughs> <laughs> I, I could dive into this one for a while. Um, you know, I think you touch on a couple of them. You know, I think at large, when people think of the Big Ten, rightly or wrong, we, people still put Michigan and Ohio State as like the two probably Ohio State more than anybody else but they usually group those two together and then everybody else kind of falls into place from there so the fact that you have a top four matchup and neither one of them is involved is very very rare in fact this is only the second time that you're going to get a matchup like that in conference play Um, and the other time was 1960 so I mean this is extremely extremely rare stuff again it speaks to the depth of the league It speaks to what the teams did a non-conference getting big wins to put themselves in this position, um, to build on your point about the thrillers. Like I remember an undefeated Penn state team going to Kinnick in November when they were number three in the country and Daryl Clark was there and Iowa knocked them off. Obviously we talked about the 2017 game where Jawan Johnson, you know, catches the touchdown, you know, final seconds and Saquon was going crazy. Um,
0: they know, wanted, like uh, he was
1: gonna be a hurdle. Heisman favorite. Yeah, right. the hurdle the stop and start on the sideline. Like he was doing stuff as a run that I've never seen a running back do. Um, and it still took a last second touchdown to beat Iowa and Kinnick. And the fact that Iowa's won for the last five at home against top five teams, and that was the only loss. It's weird that Penn State seems to have the the elixir to playing in Kinnick. They've actually won three straight at Kinnick, and we know a lot of teams, they go to Kinnick and they struggle. We've seen Ohio State do it. we seen Michigan State do it. We saw Wisconsin get killed there last year. We saw Minnesota's perfect season in there a couple of years ago. But for whatever reason, Penn State seems to kind of figure out how to win there, um, including uh, two years ago, which was James Franklin's first uh, road win against a ranked team. So for whatever reason, Penn State seems to kind of figure it out there. But I do think it's interesting that Iowa, when they won at Penn State last year, Penn State was 0-5 and, and it was kind of rock bottom, and they haven't lost since. And so you got these two teams that are you know, Penn State's won nine in a row. You got Iowa that's won 11 in a row. Both are great defensively. They got the two longest streaks in the country in terms of uh, holding teams under 24 uh, 24 points or fewer. So there's just, there's just a lot here. I'd uh, be very surprised if a team got the 20 in this game. And uh, I think it's just gonna be a real fun watch.
0: So who do you like in the game? I mean, Iowa's a takeaway machine. Uh, They got guys making Willie Mays over the shoulder catches. You got a great running back in Tyler Goodson. Um, And obviously they're, you know, they've been outstanding so far. And then with Penn State, you know, John Dotson's electrifying, talked about him at length. Clifford's coming along, playing a lot better. Um, playing really well. And, you know, they got weapons as well across, across the board. So which strengths do you think, you know, balance each other out, which weaknesses might be able to be exploited? Um, You know, I, I will stop trying to fill with my lack of knowledge on, on these two teams and have you the expert chime in and and let me know what you're looking for.
1: Well, I mean, experts to stretch, but I'll do my best here. Um, I do think that, both teams will really struggle to run the ball. I think uh, Penn State more so than Iowa. Penn State outside of last week has struggled to run the ball on, on everybody. Just interesting because
0: uh, I feel like coming into the season, I remember I think it was Joshua saying, Joshua Perry saying that that running back room was one of the most impressive that he'd seen. Um, so just interesting they've struggled so far.
1: Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't think it's a lack of talent back there. I mean, Noah Kane's a baller. Like we've seen Kevon Lee do some good things. You know, they got a Baylor transfer and John Lovett, who's, you know, run for nearly 2,000 yards in his career. Like, they've got guys, but for whatever reason, they cannot get production from that, uh, that particular position. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Sean Clifford carry it a little bit more to kind of extend some drives there. Um, so I think Iowa's got a better chance of running it, but as good as Tyler Goodson is, I don't know if he necessarily will have a good game. I think the biggest difference is that Penn State's skill players – are a little bit better than Iowa's secondary guys. Not by a lot, because they got ballers back there. Like, we you know, Riley Moss and Matt Hankins and Jack Kerner. Like, they got dudes back there. But I think Jahan Dotson is special. I think Parker Washington is a, a nice compliment to him. And then you add Brenton Strange in at tight end. And you can throw on Iowa at times. Like, they've given up some big plays, like a 30 yards or more through the air. And that's kind of Penn State specialty is throwing deep. So I think that could be the difference in a game, and I'm leaning Penn State uh, for that
0: reason. Yeah, one more note on Iowa. Uh, I mean, Tyler Linderbaum, the center, is no secret. and how good Oh, he's is. a monster. Right. The The litmus test I use if offensive linemen um, are really, really good, just personally, is when me, you know, XSNO's football dummy, can see, oh, that guy jumps off the screen and, like, does things that I've never seen an offensive lineman do. I think it was Anthony Heron was tweeting clips earlier uh maybe last week a week or two ago of of Linderbaum just like you know pulling off the line and and getting way downfield to pancake two or three guys as Goodson is running up the field so um you know when when an offensive lineman can jump off the screen like that to someone like me who never played and you know only watches 20 hours of football a week then that's that's uh that's the the gauge for me
1: yeah not only that, I think uh our guy Joshua Perry had him as this top guy and then JP 30 uh, for yeah. those
0: exact reasons.
1: Um, you know, Iowa, they're so good at, you know, breeding offensive linemen and tight ends. Like if you want to get <laughs> you want to get a guy uh, in the NFL, um, if, you, if you're an O-lineman or a tight end, like that's a great place to go because they just repeatedly coach them up, repeatedly get them to the league and they stay in the league. And, you know, Linderbaum's going to be the next guy out of that bunch for sure.
0: Speaking of Joshua Perry, I don't have the tweet pulled up in front of me, but I did want to – I stored this away in the mentals uh, a few weeks ago when Ohio State was looking a little shaky. I think it was after they lost to Oregon because then they played – Tulsa. Tulsa. But I think it was the Akron game where he might have expressed some concern. Either way, it was uh, either the Akron or Tulsa game where – it was early in the game uh, when Ohio state ended up winning big. That's why I think it was Akron where he was criticizing um, Ohio state's defense and saying, you know, this is a, a repetitive issue, which is totally fair, but it read as one of those things where, you know, Iowa state fans, or I'm sorry, Ohio state fans are freaking out a little bit. And it got a ton of engagement. And as you know, you or I know who are not, fans of powerhouses like Ohio state, not, you know, that's not our school. We, I think I looked at it as like, okay, you know, even JP's buying into the, the panic a little bit here. Just, just relax a little. Let's see what happens. Like J- Joshua, you were on the 2014 team. You know how this goes. Teams are allowed to get better throughout the season. They're allowed to get a loss um, on their record before, you know, picking up steam again. And so I think Ohio state now, you know, is kind of the, the shark in jaws that, that went out to see is circling around and might come back to terrorize the townspeople again late in this season. And I don't know if you feel the same way. It seems like you know, Stroud had a nice bounce-back game after he uh, sat out. And I don't know if you've noticed that as well, that that maybe some of the panic is subsiding that we saw on social media uh, in the Oregon and Tulsa games that, that spooked the fans a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the issue is in 2019, like we saw them have – a historically good defense. I mean, when Jeff Halfley was there, the D.C., Chase Young was terrorizing quarterbacks. They had a corner going to top three in the draft. I mean, they were completely loaded everywhere. Then last year happens. We see them give up a bunch of points, you know, give up almost 500 passing yards to Indiana. You know, Alabama scores 52 on them. The scheme looks a little dicey. And then you get into the Oregon game and it just looks like guys are out of position, completely outmatched. Uh, you know, getting beat on the same play over and over again. And I think that was Joshua's thing. It's like, okay, I'm seeing guys, you know, not do their assignment, like, over and over and over again. Like, I don't know how else you're supposed to coach it. Like, if you continue to tell a guy, like, hey, make sure you're in this gap or or whatever, and they aren't doing it. So I I get that that was probably the frustration. It seemed like that got fixed last couple weeks. Um, Again, it's Akron. Akron's really, really bad. Rutgers, I was really surprised that that game got as out of hand as it did so early, especially the way they played against Michigan. Um, They had no problem moving the ball up and down the field. And, you know, they actually turned Rutgers over three times, which Rutgers doesn't turn the ball over. So that was uh, encouraging if I'm an Ohio State fan. I do think it's interesting, though, that they're like, we're talking Penn State, Iowa, and like, you know, who's the best team in the Big Ten? And Big Ten East is as wide open as it's ever been. And I would not be shocked at all. If Ohio State just winds up catching fire and running through the whole division, and it's the same story again with them in Indy. Yeah,
0: November. You know, we're gonna hear that down danit, danit, danit. You know, October
1: 30th if they 13. get Penn State, and then you know we'll see from there. I think they get both Michigan schools in November, so they got a couple. They got a couple more weeks to to get it figured out. You know, get explosive Maryland offense this week if if you know if they could shut to it Talia down again. Uh, like Iowa did the week before, then, you know, I think that uh, that will show real progress, even if Demis is out.
0: Yeah, you said you were surprised uh, at the Rutgers score. I'm too much of a coward on Twitter to, like, mix it up with fans and, and respond to tweets like this, but I do have the receipts in the DMs with Brent Urena, our colleague. Brent had a tweet earlier last week saying that uh, he, th- he thought the Rutgers-Ohio State score would be a lot closer than in previous years. When You know, as you went over, that's been a very lopsided um, matchup just due to the – places those programs have been in the last decade but uh I, I responded to him in the dm saying i, I have a hunch it's not going to be that close and i think ohio state's gonna have a get right game uh again no no credit to me no points because i was too you know cowardly to tweet it for the masses but i did see that one coming so uh, good call by you Award me zero points though um <laughs> that's like the weakest flex ever uh all right one last question before um we can bring up some basketball topics real quick before the end but before that I want you to weigh in on Nebraska. They still move the needle. It's been a very interesting year. Like I'm just thinking back full panic mode after week zero losing to Illinois. Uh, You know, maybe the, the meme of the lady raising her eyebrows a little bit and going, "Mm, okay, we might have something here after the Oklahoma close loss Uh, meltdown again after the Michigan state game that they probably should have won. And then they look really good against Northwestern who, as we touched on is scuffling mightily this year. So it's just a a, from the outside, looking in a, a pendulum swing, but the good thing is those fans are still as engaged as ever. Like there's been no, um, you know, no giving up as far as I could tell. Uh, the, the fans are staying engaged. They're not checked out. I think everyone's interested to see where this goes the rest of the year. So um, I'm going to ask Kenny about this tomorrow. Kenny Bell on our replies series for, for digital. But what, what do you think as far as uh, Nebraska fans go and Nebraska's state of the program, are they, should they be optimistic for the rest of the year or with their tough schedule, is it going to be tough sledding?
1: I think we'll know a whole lot more about Saturday night. Um, Michigan. Yep. I mean, I'm glad you brought it up because that, that's a really, really sneaky game. Um, that's a game Michigan could certainly lose. I think we got, you know, three undefeateds in this league this week going on the road. And I wouldn't be surprised if all three of them lost um, Michigan being one of them. You know, we talked about Nebraska and, they absolutely should have won the Michigan State game. I mean, no question about it. Completely dominated that second half. But again, turnovers was an issue. Special teams was an issue. Special teams is why they lost the Oklahoma game. And I think the frustration from Nebraska fans is okay, this is year four under Frost, and we're seeing the same issues plague us over and over and over again. However, in year four, that defense is clearly the best it's been since he's been there. And I mean, they got dudes like at every level, you know, um, Joe, Joe, Joe Doman. Doman.
2: yeah, Friend Joe, Joe's a
1: dude. Garrett Nelson's a dude, you know, Cam Taylor, Britt in in the secondary, he's a dude. I mean, they got a lot of them. And so if they can make Michigan one dimensional, make K throw it. Uh, he did do a good job of throwing it last week against Wisconsin. So, you know, again, give him full credit on that, but you know, we were expecting this, this Michigan run offense. It was, you know, First in the country after three weeks. Got held 112 against Rutgers. Got held 112 against Wisconsin. And I think the Nebraska defense will do a good enough job of holding that rushing game down again, so Kate's going to have to throw it. Now, Nebraska's offense is much better than Wisconsin's. So I think they have a chance to move the ball. The problem is, can Adrian Martinez protect the football? Because he got sacked seven times against Michigan State two big turnovers, strip sack in the fourth quarter, picking overtime, and that's why they keep losing these games is because as great as he plays, he has these one or two plays in the game where he turns it over in a big spot. And if he doesn't do that, I think they win. But if he winds up with a couple turnovers, they're going to lose.
0: All right. Excellent analysis, as always, H. Um, Looking forward to another exciting weekend, Big Ten football. One other note, though, before we hop off, Big Ten Basketball Media Days is this Thursday and Friday, so that means the season is not too far behind it. Um, I'm super excited. I'm sure you're as excited as always, and uh, I don't know, just some general overarching thoughts I was going to try and pluck out of you for Media Days in general. I know uh, the schedule came out this week as well for Big Ten Network basketball games. Um, the Big Ten schedule, as far as matchups go, Came out a couple of weeks ago. So how are you feeling hoops-wise? Are we ready for this to start taking over a good chunk of our lives as well?
1: I'm I'm not ready for that part of it yet. It definitely yeah, media day always sneaks up on me because I'm just so locked into football. And then you look up and you're like, oh man, media day is this week. And so, you know, I have to kind of shift my focus for you know a couple of days to, you know, kind of lock in on that and then come back to football. But there's a lot of star power returning, which is always a good thing. Um, I think NIL, and I think we talked about this previously, had a lot to do with that. You know, you get a, a Hunter Dickinson to come back. You get a Kofi to come back. You get an EJ Liddell to come back. Um, you know, those are some big names. and some big-time schools. And so I'm I'm curious to see, you know, how, how Michigan is. Um, you know, they're more of a hunter, uh, hunted this year. Uh, so I'd be curious just to kind of see – how that goes. And then, you know, Michigan State, a lot of turnover. Um, you know, no Aaron Henry went into the portal, got a got a point guard, point guard, clearly an issue last year. You know, you, you go get Tyson Walker from Northeastern, see if another Walker can wind up impacting Michigan State, just like the football version has. So I, I'm, I'm definitely curious to see, you know, what the Spartans look like kind of as an off the radar, uh, you know, team right now. Uh, and I'm curious to see what your guys look like. You know, Carbello, you know, you know, see if he could take that that next step as a sophomore. See if they could defend that Big Ten tournament title. Um, I want to say it was uh, it was Fraser. He's back, right? Frazier's back. Yep. Yeah. So he, he's back for his like thirteenth year, so mm-hmm. you know, they got a lot of experience. I'm curious to see how it's all gonna play out.
0: Yeah, it should be it should be fun. I like basketball media day more than football media day, just because. Um, you know, you know, how the football culture is, it's, it's a lot more buttoned up, more serious. No one wants to reveal anything. Everyone's paranoid. That's just how it is across college football um, basketball. I feel like the better players tend to be sent more consistently from the programs, right? The flagship players. Um, again, I think due to there, there's more fear just embedded in football programs of, of not wanting players to say something that could get them caught up uh, a little more personality. It's interesting just across kind of sports, how media days have kind of had a comeback. Like the, The idea itself is is as we know uh what used to be you know get gather everyone in one place to answer questions from a press conference which we still do but that has become you know less important now with just zoom and and uh social media and and not needing you know to file for the newspaper deadline at 10 p.m or whatever uh however they used to do it i should know that i used to work in a newspaper but um (laughs) it's funny like i said how resurgence just kind of happened in social media form right like NBA media days get so much love it was last week that you saw all the images of like all the guys on the Lakers now together with Russell Westbrook and Carmelo and Anthony Davis and LeBron and like players you know basically going viral for showing up in their either their outfits or in their new uniforms or doing something goofy like a TikTok dance and it just is relevant still like I was thinking a few years ago well like our media days even going to be a thing in a few years and I think if they survived COVID and taking a year off and and something that I think, you know, we've seen media access be shut down a lot of places, uh, especially in the pro leagues as a result of COVID, but media days are back and they're blown out now in the big 10 taking place in Indianapolis for both football and basketball, which I think is uh, a great way to highlight and showcase the league. and, And I think if it survived COVID, it might be here to stay with just this kind of new fresh approach and, and giving the players even more of a, uh, spotlight
1: yeah you, you're absolutely right in terms of basketball media day being more fun um and I don't know if it's just like the coaching personalities or if it's the point you made about just football everything is super buttoned up and you can't provide bulletin board material and we have to send the 60-year offensive lineman who, who's you know earned it and all that stuff as opposed to just sending the hot shot freshman um because I, I remember a few years back when uh, the class of bridges and Cassius and all those guys, and like they actually sent miles to Media Day as a freshman, and like I remember that being a huge deal, it was like, oh my God, they sent a freshman, and like the best players should be there, like regardless, and I think you get that more in basketball, and I grant it, you know you're picking from twelve or picking from fifteen as opposed to pick it from eighty five but Um, You know, I just think you get more personality in hoops. I think the the basketball coaches uh, have just more fun with it. And, you know, I just kind of enjoy the the looseness of basketball media day. And, And I hope we see more of that going forward.
0: I get the reticence sometimes of like, you know, some of the same questions being repeated over and over. A lot of these guys have to go through the same motions most of the day. That's what I like to switch up in our digital presence there is a lot of times the players or coaches will leave saying, wow, that was like different. That was fun. That was not what we've been doing all day, but you know, maybe who knows, maybe now that NIL is in the picture, players will seek this out even more to go to build their brand, you know, to, to get tagged in a million social media posts in a day, get those followers up for, you know, the, the, the building of their brand, which is what, all the colleges are advertising that they can do now for these players in the recruiting process. So maybe there's, that's part of the resurgence as well, just because there is value in that now.
1: And can we talk about how ridiculous that it was that players couldn't get money off of NIL before? I mean, it's funny just as a, as a Michigan state guy seeing like two or three guys talk about going to Arby's and like getting paid for it. Like you're going to tell me the NCAA couldn't just say, Oh no, you know what? You're you're promoting Arby's. Like we can't have you make money off of saying I'm gonna eat at Arby's. Like, how ridiculous is that? Like if uh you know the local Lansing Arby's wants to pay a guy for saying, Hey, I'm gonna eat at Arby's, like, why is that a bad thing?
0: Also, Arby's catches way too many strays on Twitter, on social media. I don't know why. I don't know what's behind this. Arby's is awesome. People hate on Arby's for no reason. Like, I feel like it's it's kind of a punching bag. If Arby's wants to sponsor the podcast. Um, you know, in addition to our lovely Northwestern Sports Administration sponsor that has been so loyal to us over the years, uh, we're all for it because Arby's is bomb, it's gas, it's whatever the kids are saying, and I, I think it gets some undeserved hate on Twitter. So I'm glad you brought Arby's in, up here at the end of the show.
1: Didn't know you were such a big Arby's guy. I mean, again, if Arby's wants to come sponsor, I'm, I'm definitely cool with that. But, uh, you know, I, I hadn't felt either way about Arby's personally. Um, I'm just not around them like that to to really go but uh good to know we have a arby's fan on the pot
0: beef and cheddar curly fries Jamaica shake change your life
1: all right i do like the curly fries that is true
0: all right that's the homework assignment for the next uh next assignment although that's another thing there aren't any arby's in chicago
1: that's the, that's the, the, that's people. the whole point like if if i'm not like on the road driving somewhere and i stop yeah like buying arby's i'm Big just problem. yeah i'm not gonna have arby's huh
0: I just realized that maybe on the way to India or on the way back, I'll get some later this week. We'll see. You kind of have
1: to after promoting it as much as you have.
0: I know. All right. H uh, thanks a lot for taking the time as always. I'll wrap it up for this week. We'll catch up soon. And uh, excited to watch drama unfold this weekend.
1: Yeah, it should be a fun week. We're going
0: to learn a lot more about the league. All right. Till next time. All right. Thanks once again to Harold and RJ for joining the show. Really good perspective from two important voices in college sports. Uh, Always appreciate Harold, like I said, and uh, looking forward to following along with RJ's work more and more as we move forward here. Thank you once again to the listeners who uh, always appreciate tuning in, tapping into the show. If you have not already, please subscribe to the show on podcast platforms, your Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, Spotify, Podbean, and if you weren't aware, we're also available on YouTube. So you can watch these interviews in their entirety. Zoom has made that very easy, and we hope to be doing a lot of these in person uh, going forward once things continue to return to normal on the outside. But Big Ten Network does have a YouTube channel that you should be subscribing to if you like Big Ten sports, and Take Ten Podcast does have a playlist within that YouTube channel. So subscribe and then find the Take Ten Podcast playlist where you can see all these interviews. Uh, in their entirety, <clears throat> and uh, see me sitting here in my living room. So, fun stuff there. Thank you. Uh, I want to send a thank you to Julie Bronder, as always, for stitching the show together and encourage everyone to stay tuned as we'll have more and more guests throughout football uh, season and basketball season as well, which, as we alluded to, is right around the corner. As it starts to overlap here, we will be all over it. Thanks again to everyone for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon here on the Take 10 podcast.